The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Quick programming note before we start. We're going to be shifting to Mondays for the rest of the season. John usually has to write on Sunday nights. Uh, there are usually a ton of games during the playoffs. Danny and I always do a dunked on on those Sunday nights during the playoffs, recapping the weekend action. So John and I figured it would be better to sit back, take stock for a day, and then record during the day on Mondays since we're doing a little bit longer-term content. That made a little bit more sense for this show. I also want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Good Sunday, all of you. If you're listening to this for the first time, getting back into the swing of things, uh, I'm Nate Duncan, joined by John Hollinger, who you one of the godfathers of NBA analytics, has spent seven years with the Memphis Grizzlies now of The Athletic, and I have not nearly as many as credentials as John does, but I at least was persuasive enough to get him to come on this podcast, so uh, you're going to have to listen to me too. And what we're going to talk about today is looking at all of the teams that are in the bowl. It's going to be a, a two-week series here. We're actually going to look at some of the bigger contenders first this week as in some of their biggest questions whatever issues john and i find most interesting uh, about the, the teams that we viewed as basically the 12 teams that seem most likely to win a series and then we'll look next week with the benefit of a couple of games in our belt for each of these teams at the remaining teams because they're going to be trying hard right away these uh, teams that are kind of a little more secure i think it, we won't be able to draw as much meaning from their first couple of games so we figured we would do them now, and at least because there are 20 teams, there's too many to talk about in one show. Um, John, who? Uh, I'll just let you pick the order here. I don't think we need to be particularly regimented about it. Who do you want to talk about first? Uh, you know what? Let's talk about Dallas first, because I think they're an interesting team that is kind of lying in the weeds here in the West. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately... The weeds that they are laying in right now are directly in front of the LA Clippers steamroller. Yes. If they can get out of those weeds into some different weeds, I think they'll <laughs> actually be in pretty good shape to potentially win a series here. I absolutely agree. I think even against the Clippers, I don't think they can win, but I think they can push them. I think they could take it to six or seven games against them. I think Dallas is a is a good team. I think... In a playoff environment, the injuries to Brunson and Powell don't really hurt them as long as nobody else gets hurt because they can still go eight deep with quality, and that's kind of what you need in a series. 
And obviously they have that star power with Luca and the Zinger. Um, little soft on the defensive end, but they're offensively they're awesome. So they make up for it that way. Yeah, as as long as they don't play the Clippers, I think they have a great shot at winning a series. Yeah, you know, I was thinking of what my power rankings would be for the teams in the West generally going into a playoffs, or just who I think is the best team, irrespective sure. of matchups. And I'd probably have them fourth. I would say, particularly with the uh, potential demise of Utah and the Bogdanovich injury, which we'll, of course, talk about later. I mean, their statistical resume is much better than their record, which, of course, has them seventh right now. Yeah, they've been awful at the end of close games uh, and even offensively have been, which which is a surprise. But it's such a small sample size that you wonder if that's legit. And, or yeah, if that's Doncic just a was good in the clutch last year, so I, I, I yeah. do think it's relatively uh, relatively anomalous. Because if you just look at points scored, points allowed, they're on par with Boston, Toronto, and the Clippers. Or, you know, they're in the same neighborhood, at least. They don't quite match them, but they're, they're much closer to those teams than they are to the teams that they're, that are three, four, five, six in the West right now. Yeah, they've won 5.0 games fewer than expected per clean the glass, which is the 29th place in the NBA. Uh, only the... Detroit Pistons were unluckier this year than really? the Dallas Mavericks were. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. All Pistons, right. little, uh, little optimism for the Detroit They could there. could make the playoffs next year. Maybe they should go for it. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> go. so, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think to the argument against Dallas is just the lack of playoff experience for their top two guys. Neither of them have been in any kind of a playoff situation so far. Yeah, but, I mean— Luca certainly has played in big games. I yes. mean, so I, I I struggle with that one a little bit to like hold that too far against. And he's played well in big games too. If you go to him being in Euroleague two years ago, him being in the in the European Championship with Slovenia and helping them win the championship with with Goran Dragic, uh, with really a, a supporting cast that was pretty overmatched. Um, although a couple of their scrubs played out of their minds in in, in that tournament. Um, so I, I actually, I actually think they're, they're pretty well set up that way. I don't know. I, I, that isn't really a thing that, that keeps me up at night with them. I think it's just more defensively. Can they just get picked apart on the perimeter? They don't really have that stopper guy. I mean, Dorian Finney, Finney Smith is good for what he is. I mean, certainly for a guy making four million a year for the next three years or whatever, he's, he's great value for them. But if you're really going to put him on Kawhi Leonard in a high level game, I, I don't think it's going to end well. Yeah, they do have Moxie Kleba, who has more mobility than people think. I think he's had reasonable success guarding those players, but you're right. I mean, they don't have that one established stopper. Here's what I would say about the experience part of it. And maybe it's not even necessarily experience as more they just haven't been through the crucible Mm -hmm. of an NBA playoffs. We haven't seen their games stress-tested, Doncic and Porzingis, whether – with Doncic, you say, okay, you're shooting 32% on threes. We're going to make you take that step back yep. every yep. single time. Or with Porzingis, we're going to switch on pick and rolls with you, and we know that you can't post up. Or Doncic, we're going to run a screen with your man and switch you on to Kawhi Leonard. We're going to go at you every single time at the end of games or with James Harden uh, or Chris Paul if it's OKC, those those sorts of matchups. So those we haven't seen the weaknesses in those guys games I, i've always felt like at times that the regular season is all about strengths and postseason is all about weaknesses 
It is. It is in a lot of ways, except it's only it's only in the weaknesses of your strengths. In other words, mm. if if your weakness is the back end of your roster, that will not get exposed in sure. the playoffs. That's an easy thing to hide. But all the weaknesses in the top end of your roster, yeah, they're just right there in neon. All right. Well, so so that's good uh, on Dallas. Unless you have anything to add on them, I think that's a uh, just that's, you know Rick Rick Carlisle's a good uh, good coach in these situations. So I think he gives them another advantage. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I think where he really, especially when it comes down to controlling the game, we saw back in 2011, the last time he had a team that really was a threat to win a series, frankly, uh, he had one of maybe the best uh, coaching performances ever uh, yeah. to really, in that 2011 run. Okay, let's move to the East here. Just going to go about randomly. The Miami Heat. What is uh, some of the factors you'll be watching for them here as we go into the playoffs? Well, first of all, can they stay in that four or five position? Because even though they're they're in an advantageous spot, but they play Indiana twice. Philadelphia's schedule is cake. If they lose both of those indie games, they're in real threat of ending up in the sixth position. And then you're talking about playing Toronto or Boston in the first round, which I think clearly does not end well. Um, so can they stay in the four or five spot? And then how how potent are they? really the the playoff version of this team i still i still question it a little i guess i because i feel like they've overachieved all season so i just i wonder if there's another gear for them to get to and i i do think again when teams start scheming these guys okay we're going to play off jimmy butler we're going to play off Adebayo. other than you know they're going to swarm duncan robinson and, and otherwise let people shoot and I, I I just wonder how that works and how that looks in Miami. We talk about stress testing a team in these kind of situations. Well, Duncan Robinson, I'm very concerned about him defensively. We He's one of the rare guys that teams would go at in an ISO during the meat of the game. You know, they always do it at the end of the game, but during the meat of the game, even they'd be going at him. You know, he definitely has some problems and he's a big part of what they're doing offensively. Curiously, this team was better seventh on offense than they were on defense 12th. I would expect those to flip. The additions of Jay Crowder and Andre Guadalla are going to give them some needed other options on the wing. Uh, but those yeah. guys, neither of them are great shooters, and they built so much of what they're doing around shooting. But this team could throw out some absolute monster defensive lineups, uh, potentially. And we just haven't really seen Iguadala and Crowder get integrated. So I think there's a possibility. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that they're like some massive threat, but that they could be a lot different than the team we saw in the regular season because of the addition of those two guys. I, they help. I mean, they traded justice Winslow who wasn't playing for him. So there's no, there's no harm there. Obviously I just, I don't know if those guys are at a point in their careers where they're good enough to be the guys you want in the, on the court in the fourth quarter of an important game. Yeah. I mean, well, Iguodala, the last time we actually saw him play in real games, he was good in the playoffs last year. And, you know, who knows where he's at now after that huge layoff. And then he plays 10 games and then they, there's another four games off. But I, I think actually it's possible that this could help him because he usually keeps himself in really good shape and is just the wear and tear with the tendonitis in his knees that catches up to him. So I think he actually could look okay if they use him right. Uh, another question I have for you is who are they going to close games with? What's your closing lineup if you're Eric Spolstra? That's uh, that's a really interesting question for these guys. And not only the closing lineup, the starting lineup. I mean, Myers Leonard, how many games does he start in the playoffs? I'm going to set the over-under at 1.5. 
yeah well it depends who they play if they play someone who they're going to lose the first game then it's then you'll get the under if they play if they, the first game. well what's interesting is if they play philadelphia yeah because they might want to keep Adebayo off of Embiid for a little while yeah i don't i mean i Adebayo is just like a straight up post defender against centers we haven't seen a ton of that his advantage is more in mobility he's a strong guy but uh you know i'd be interested to see you want to keep him out of foul trouble early too and beat will put fouls on you um but i don't think myers leonard's going to do a good enough job or kelly olenic either yeah that's no. a great question of you know because i think kelly olenic is probably better than myers leonard but he comes off the bench and then you've also now have all these guys who are really Derek jones jr great jay crowder maybe even andre goodella those guys are all best as small ball fours now yeah yeah so i mean to me i think those guys are better players than Olenek or Leonard. So you want to be playing Bam almost yeah. all of his minutes at five, I would think. that With the roster they have to get the best players in the court, that's what I think too. Now, here's the other wrinkle. Miami played a lot of zone this year. Um, could we see that against Philadelphia? Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. And, well, hey, no, Ben Simmons shoots threes now, so it'll be fine. <laughs> Problem solved. It's yeah, fixed. I mean, that, that will be a fascinating matchup because – that zone for Miami, what they do is they really put a bunch of guys up at the point of the tack and you're kind of a little light underneath and or either in the corners or with sides underneath. And so if you can kind of get over that pressure with guys like Jones Jr. at the top. Yeah, then you Derek Jones advantage. at the top. Of, he is really good playing the top of the zone. Yeah, I call and him so, Derek Zones. Yeah, and so, I mean, you could say that now with Shake Milton, that's kind of a, a bit of a reaction to their feeling that they're going to have to get more shooting on the floor. Um, but, yeah, that that's going to be fascinating. I mean, Eric Spolstra is a great coach, too. So, I, I'm – and I – unlike you, I think I would give Miami potentially a chance in a – more in a Toronto series than a Boston series, but I wouldn't totally rule them out in games against those guys, in part because of the variability we just haven't seen – what this full team really looks like. And then, you know, the, the, is it going to be Iguodala and Crowder or Hero and Robinson? Where does Goran Dragic fit in versus Kenlich, Kendrick Nunn? I mean, this is a lot of work for Spolster to do to find the right combinations with this group. Now, the other thing he can do that he hasn't been able to do is not play a point guard at all. Can you go yeah. Butler, Iguodala, Jones, Robinson, Adebayo or something like that and just play a bunch of six, seven, six, eight guys, switch everything? It was sort of the way they played. Do you remember that series? Um, it was two years ago. They played, was it Indiana? Philly. No, no, no. Right I'm sorry. Now. It was against Toronto. It was against Toronto. Oh, um, oh, God. No, I wish I didn't remember that series. When when Hassan Whiteside and Valanciunas both got injured and they had to play Justice Winslow at center. Yeah, yeah. 20, 2060. Yeah. That was like actually probably the worst playoff series of the last five years. But it was that like was five, five, six, eight guys on both teams just like switching everything. Yeah. And uh, I, I wonder if, if Miami is going to try to get to something like that again or if Embiid's presence just makes that impossible. Yeah, well, who knows whether they're matching up against Philly or not. I mean, that'll be an interesting one as well. Really quickly here, you and I have talked about it, even just watching the seeding games. Yeah, he wasn't – or, or sorry, the scrimmage games. He wasn't trying that hard, obviously. But I really wonder about Jimmy Butler and his ability to be the number one guy in a playoff offense. When he when they say, no, we're not going to just foul you under the rim or like let you drive and collapse and let you kick out a three-point shoot. We're going to make you score. I don't know if he can do that at the highest level as a number one option in the playoffs anymore. And and he actually, I don't think he's actually ever done it in the playoffs. 
Well, I mean, you can argue he did it in the series against Toronto last year, that that's the closest he's come to doing yeah. it um, against a high-level defensive team, too. But the the decline in the sh- in the outside shooting, if that's real, that's an issue. Because I do think teams are going to go under just dare Butler to shoot, dare Adebayo to shoot, um, and and basically say, okay, Miami, other than Duncan Robinson, your other guys have free reign to shoot, take as many shots as they want and try beating us that way, and we don't think you can. Yeah, and by doing some switching, you could maybe take away Duncan Robinson as well. You could say, hey, Jimmy Butler, you want to go one-on-one and beat us? We don't think you can. Um, that would be really interesting. And I, my prediction is that they're going to be really good defensively and that they're going to struggle to score, which is a little bit opposite of what we've seen during the regular year. Yeah, I think... I think I agree with that prediction. Yes. From the makers of the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device comes TheraOne's CBD products. Unlike other CBD products, TheraOne grows their own crop. They are certified organic by the USDA. CBD products can ease discomfort, soreness, and stiffness, fight the effects of inflammation, and support better sleep quality. A few of their products are their Activate CBD lotion. It's perfect for before your workout. Their Recover CBD lotion cools and relaxes the body, nourishes the skin using essential oils and promotes relaxation. And their Sleep CBD Tincture, which is a tincture with organic valerian root. It's the perfect recipe for a restful night's sleep. And as mentioned, USDA certified organic. A lot of CBD products claim this, but still contain up to 30% filler. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is certified organic and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Now through Labor Day, which is Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. You go to theragun.com slash PER, easy to remember slash PER because John invented it. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something they're likely to do again with this launch that buy one, get one free is available at theragun.com slash PR until Labor Day. So go to theragun.com slash PR. Don't forget the slash PR to let them know that you came from us. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich. Thanks to Dave's killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store let's put five minutes on the clock here for who do you want to pick next well should we talk about philly yeah we should uh i think for them you know Embiid has this little calf injury hopefully that's nothing yeah. Uh, but I mean, that that to me, the number one question, there's been so much focus on Simmons and the guards and who's going to start. Can Joel Embiid be the best player on the floor in whatever series that they are in is the number one question to me. Yeah, he ha- he has to be. I mean, the rest of this team is good, but the the whole reason everyone was fired up about this team coming into the season was the idea of Embiid being that guy. And 
I mean, he was good this year, but it kind of left us all a little underwhelmed, I think. Yeah, the one thing that was awesome was the post-up numbers. Like, if you go on Synergy, he's averaging, like, 1.1 points per post-up. And they're also putting him in more of a position to succeed now. A lot of what they're doing in putting Horford on the bench and uh, going with Embiid and Shake Milton, uh, or Shake Milton to allow Embiid to post up, that's to help him. And so now he's got to really deliver, I think. And I'm uh, a lot of that's going to be matchup defensive. You can avoid uh, Toronto or Milwaukee. I think he's really, there's nobody else that can stop him in the East to me. Well, if they were able to get Boston, uh, I think that's a problem series for the Celtics. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, he, he can just beast them in the paint and they, they don't, I mean, you could see it against Steven Adams the other day. Like they, they had, they had all kinds of trouble with him. So I, I think that's a real issue, uh, potentially for the Celtics. But I also think, do you agree with me that Philly's going to end up in the four or five? You've looked at that more closely than I have. It does seem that way, particularly with the the news. I, I mean, it seems unlikely that Sabonis is going to be back anytime soon. Yeah. So he's left the bubble now to get treatment on that plantar fasciitis. And it does seem that way. Do they want to end up in the 4-5? I actually might be a little more interested in being in the 3-6 and avoiding Milwaukee until the conference finals. But I, I know you and I see that a little differently. But it, it's... uh. It, It'll be fascinating to me. I, I I don't hate their matchup against Boston. Definitely. Yeah, I, I it's gonna to me it's gonna be hard for them to avoid being in the four or five. Like like they would have to almost consciously tank their way to to six to stay there. We given their schedule, they play five teams with losing records, which is like impossible when you when you carve out eight teams for a bubble, right? When you when you already eliminated the eight worst teams, and you still have a schedule that's mostly losing teams, so. I I just with Philly's schedule, I think it's going to be virtually impossible. If if home court actually mattered, they would be in a position to get home court. Yeah, yeah, because there's no reason to go for the four in the end, other than for Brett Brown to be able to say he he led a team to a top four seed again when he looks for his next job. <laughs> what are you What are you saying? He, he could be under a little pressure. Uh, yeah. So I, the Ben Simmons thing. Do you like how they're using him in these scrimmage games? Yeah, I thought Philly has been really impressive in these scrimmages. I mean, they they ended up losing today, but it was all the it was in the fourth quarter with you know their the riffraff out there. Uh, their starting group looked really impressive against Memphis. Looked really impressive against Oklahoma City. I, I think that new lineup just works. I think there's enough shooting now. I think Simmons still has. His hands on the ball and able to put his fingerprints on the game, but he's they're able to use him as a screener a lot more. They're not counting as much on Josh Richardson to have such a huge playmaking role. I think he's kind of slotted into the right amount of usage and and kind of type of shots and whatnot. I, I, it just works to me. I mean, is Al Horford going to play 15 minutes a game? Is that what's going to happen? I actually think that is what's probably going to happen when they get in in playoff games. There there will be times when they have both bigs out there, but I think most of the time they won't. And especially when it gets to gets to those tight moments, I don't think Horford will be out there. I do think that there could be more of a role for the Horford and B lineups against Milwaukee if they get that far to where they just really well, need to match up with that size, get three guys on the floor at once who can credibly guard Giannis a, a little bit. And, and I do think also that Horford was just 
struggling with some injuries and stuff. So, uh, but beforehand, he had that Achilles soreness. He just couldn't. It was an anomaly that he couldn't make a three pointer when Embiid was on the floor, and he shot fine when Embiid was off the floor. I don't. I think right. that's just bad luck. So yeah. I, I, I'm not giving up on that lineup yet. But I understand obviously why they went away from it. the numbers on that were poor. But this is also a guy that you signed to a over a hundred million dollar contract, and they, I'm not yeah. willing to accept that he's just like done as a basketball player a 15 minute a game guy you, yeah. you just have him slotted into like a gorgie dang role yeah so um i i do think when simmons is off the floor that's a prime time to play horford and mb together because i think the simmons horford and uh, trio yeah. was really a thing that that definitely did not work and i i wonder if they can be more functional if if there are three legitimate perimeter shooting type guys out there and, and it does appear they're going with that uh, brett brown said a, a couple days ago that he expects horford and bead to play together in that middle and bead stint when he typically does play without simmons although i like horford as well in the simmons only lineup so maybe you can get horford kind of a continuous stint from six minutes gone by in the first to six minutes left in the second yeah. And then uh, Embiid comes back in for his third stint and he goes to the bench. So you probably get him 24 minutes if you did it that way. Sure, sure. Especially since, Je- I mean, Embiid, even in playoff game, I'm trying to remember how they cap him. I Like, he hasn't been playing 47 minutes in these, you know, even in the biggest games, right? Yeah, well, yeah, he played 45 in the game seven and they were negative 12 in the three minutes that he missed uh, Man, famously. Man, is that brutal? Six backup centers and none of them who could play? Let's talk about Utah now. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there i believe that i think i still might like them better than a couple of teams in the west and i think a lot of this is going to depend, depend on the matchups i think if they get dallas they're probably gonna be in trouble and if they get houston they're gonna be in trouble obviously if they get the lakers or clippers they're gonna be in trouble i think they got a decent chance against denver or okc well they're contractually obligated to play houston so that's unfortunate for them the, the, yeah extremely uh yeah, what are like the most likely matchups in the West here? I know you've looked at this more closely. It's it's actually a jumble, um, and and I don't really know. Um, I I do think it it does seem it did seem likely that Denver would hang on to three, and now I think it's maybe a little less likely just because they're they're running out of players a little bit. So we got we got to see what kind of team Denver is able to put out there, but. They, they kind of still have the advantage for the three, which then puts Utah, Houston, Oklahoma City in, in play for the four, five, six. And and that's really too close to call among them. I, I don't like the position Utah is in. Uh, without Bog, Bogdanovich, the issue to me is more with the next guy up. Like yeah. they, are, they are small. They have one bench guy that they really can trust with the with this lineup. Um, that that isn't a big. Uh, they tried playing Gobert and Bradley together in the Phoenix game, and it, it just didn't work. And I, I don't think that's a workable thing. So, I mean, they, no matter how much you push the starters, you're going to end up with stretches where, like, you're counting on you know George Niang and Rajon Tucker, and, and like I I just don't see that getting it done against these good teams in the West. And then the other issue they're going to have to deal with potentially um, is Mike Conley's expecting a baby uh, right in the middle of the first round, it seems like, looking at the schedule. So that that's another thing could put him uh, behind the eight ball. Yeah, that could be a big problem. I mean, because the most, 
I mean, he'd miss at least six days, even if he does it as best you can. Um, especially with this compacted schedule, that could be three games. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, it kind of depends where they're at, too. You know, if they lose the first two games and the babies two are on game four, well, okay, bye. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so it's uh, – I, I think a lot of it depends on the matchups. You know, if they go against Houston, yeah, Nyang probably not going to be able to hang defensively. Uh, you know, Houston does a great job of taking advantage of their lack of shooting. You know, if they're going against Oklahoma City, that probably has worse depth problems than they do. Although Robertson has kind of looked good so far, he, he might mm-hmm. actually break into the rotation. But uh, then I think you're in better shape. I, I do think against Denver, the lack of depth could be a problem to be sure as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean between Bradley Niang and they don't even really have a backup small forward. I mean, I guess that, but like, see, against OKC, you could just play Conley, Mitchell, and Clarkson together because that's all the Thunder are going to do anyway, right? right? Yeah, yeah, they don't have a three man on their roster either. Yeah. But against some of these other teams, it gets to be a real problem, especially if Ingles is playing 38 minutes at the four. Then, you know, what do you what do you have at the three? No, I I agree with you, but I I still I I'm I would have to see how they look in the seeding games. But if they match up against Denver or or uh, or against OKC, I probably as of now would actually still pick them. I think they have to play more like Phoenix or Orlando to to really get me excited about picking them. <laughs> <laughs> um just because i mean is this is this team really so different from the team that's been like pretty good in the playoffs the last couple of years well they they tried to address what killed them last year against houston right because they they swapped out rubio for conley they spent the money on bogdanovich um so they they, they definitely changed their stripes a little bit because they would line up favors Gobert, bring in jay crowder before like they played bigger before and yeah. now I do think they're more of an offensive team. Like they only ended up in the middle of the pack in defense this year. Uh, yeah. And like, if you look at the, uh, some of the advanced numbers, it wasn't so much Gobert being any different is just, there's just not a lot of good defensive players there anymore. I mean, it's Roy, Royce O'Neal is pretty good, you know, on the ball and, you know, kind of the rest of what they have isn't great. Um, so. I, they, I'm, I'm worried about them. They just, they just seem pretty vulnerable to me. I, I also, I really respect Quinn Snyder's coaching a lot too. I think that's, that's something that could, he'll, could he'll be. have them prepared and give them the best chance yeah. to win. The other thing with these guys, there's a little bit of the straw breaking the camel's back thing too. If they lose one more guy to anything, I, yeah. I think the whole house of cards crumbles. Yeah, and as you mentioned with Mike Conley expecting a child, that could well happen. Um, who do you want to go to next? Should we talk about the uh, world champion Toronto Raptors? Yeah, we should. This team, it my number one worry with them is just that they're not going to be able to score. I think their defense is all world. They might have the second best defense in the NBA, but I just I'm not sure how they're going to be able to really create when it matters. Yeah, they have so much IQ and matchup ability. Uh, when like when they line up. Lowry, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, Gasol. Like, who are you going after in that matchup? Right? And they're they're all solid. They're really smart. They know what to take away. Nurse has them prepared. They throw all kinds of funky different things at you. Um, They even have, like, good defenders coming off. Like, they can bring in Hollis Jefferson, who's a really good one-on-one guy. Um, You know, Ibaka, obviously, at at the big spots. So, 
it's going to come down to the offense for them. And unfortunately, I, I do think when they, when they play against the best teams, it's going to be a slog for them. Uh, you know, Lowry, as good as he was this year, is definitely a lot of kind of ref bait in his game that, that yeah. doesn't really seem to work as well in the postseason. Siakam is a leading man. I just don't think he's quite there yet uh, when you get to these highest levels. And I think that's going to be a problem for them against against a team like Boston, especially. I'm, I'm really excited for a Toronto-Boston series. I think it's going to be fascinating from the coaching matchups and the player matchups and whatnot. I just worry that Toronto doesn't have enough offensive juice against the Celtics, and they don't really have enough size to punish Boston inside either, the way some other teams have. Yeah, uh, Toronto has been more than the sum of their parts, I think, offensively this season, in part because they've got smart passers. They always have enough shooting on the floor. They take a lot of threes. They take the right shots. But in the regular season, you know, you're tired. You just sort of forget that, oh, yeah, Fred Van Vliet's a really good shooter. You help off of him. When teams start making fewer mistakes, I'm not sure where the openings come from with this group, unless it's going to be Siakam creating them. And like you, I just, I wonder if, I think he can score pretty well in the right matchup. I think the wrong matchup, he can still struggle. And, you know, when he doesn't really have the physical advantage, I think he can really struggle. And just, is he the guy who can just draw the defense that much where you can run everything through him? The other thing that uh, is they are extremely reliant on those quick attacks and transition, those they, great hit-ahead passes, yeah. and that's that's another thing. Now, I mean, the Warriors didn't stop them. It didn't get back the entire NBA Finals, but yeah. overall, you know, teams, if you're really locked in there, you can say, all right, we're going to get back. We're going to take that away uh, as well, and that could be another issue. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think their team speed is their best offensive attribute, that, that they just fly up and down the court, um, and even – like even when Gasol's out there, he doesn't slow them down because he's so good outletting the ball that that they get going right away, and he you know he'll catch up later at some point. But in the meantime, they got a four on two or whatever. And so, I do, I do agree with your point though. A team that's locked in should be able to take that stuff away and force them to play in the half court. And then when they, if and when they do that, I think the Raptors are going to have problems. Now, that said, their defense is going to keep them in games, and they do take a lot of threes, so uh, maybe they can uh, have some upsets here. But, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously they've done incredibly well without Kawhi Leonard this year, but we saw that their offense really was very dependent upon him against the Bucks and the Sixers, and they're going to be playing those level of defenses uh, again in the Eastern Conference players playoffs this year. Yeah, it's going to get... Really hard for them once once they get to that point. I just yeah, I, the more I look at that Boston matchup, where but like Boston just has so much better shot creation. I, I think that's going to be a tipping point, um, which should be a tipping point for us actually. That we should probably talk about the Celtics here. Yeah, Walker is. Uh, I I'm not sure what did he play today. He played today. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's a good looked, side. looked like halfway decent. Um, so I I'd say that's. Probably not a huge worry at this point. So the thing that stuck out to me about them is that they are definitely in the Eastern Conference the best off-the-dribble three-point shooting. And that that is something that, if it's really working, can cause problems from some of these great defenses that are going to be they're going to be going up against us, particularly these ones like Toronto and Milwaukee that just barricade the rim like crazy. Yeah, I mean, Tatum in particular, his growth and the ability to shoot threes off the dribble, come around a screen, one dribble, launch a three with his size too. That's a tough shot to contest. 
usually have a bigger player on him who isn't as used to, you know, trying to navigate around the screen, contest a shot from behind and do all that. So I think, I think that can make life really hard for teams. It Tatum it seemed a little out of sorts in these first two Boston games, I got to say, but I'm, I'm sort of assuming that's just a fluky two game thing and he gets back into it. Um, the biggest thing you worry about with Boston is just if you can get into their bench, you're getting into some players who are really not very good. Yeah, I was talking to someone in their organization about that issue, and the point that he made was, hey, if you could really play Kemba Walker, Jalen Braun, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart, you've got five guys there. You can play those guys all 35 minutes a game. Maybe you don't even really need to get, you know, maybe you get 10 minutes a game of Brad Wanamaker if you need to have a traditional point guard out there. But that other than that, you don't even need to play the rest of these guys because they just... They can play all these guys 35 yeah. minutes now. Stevens is going to have to actually do that. But that that was the he's point gonna, that was made to he's me. He's going to have is, to, yeah. yeah. No, he'll have to stagger the minutes uh, pretty sharply in order to pull that off and 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 rest rest everyone. Where it gets interesting is if there's fouls or if somebody turns an ankle and now it's like, oh, we got to play Semi Ojale 27 minutes tonight, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, he he that's can where not really kill happen. you in 10 minutes, but a little more than that, it can, it can get a little ugly. Yeah. Um, what do you think they do at center? I mean, Tice is obviously going to start. Where do you see Cantor fitting in? I think mean, Grant Williams is almost kind of a center for them at this point. Yeah, I I think Tice obviously is their is their first guy, but I mean, he picks up fouls like he's he's not going to be in there the whole time. Seems to me Cantor is still the second option just because he gives them so much on the on the boards and offensively. But teams are going to go right at him on every play and make him defend. Yeah, no that said about that. though. Who is this like awesome pick and roll guard on the teams they're going to be facing that are going to kill Ennis Cantor? I mean, Toronto's going to try with Lowry and Van Vliet. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're definitely going to put him in action. Uh, you know, if they play, if they play what, Indiana? Yeah. And Brogdon, Oladipo. I mean, but that's, you know, that's not a close enough matchup where I'm worried about. I mean, I don't think Toronto or, I mean, Milwaukee runs the fewest pick and rolls in the NBA, basically, and they don't have great. Uh, pick and roll ball handlers that's not uh, their bread and butter philly isn't doesn't do that at all so i don't i think you might be able to get away with Cantor a little bit more than you could you know back when you're he was playing for oklahoma city in the western conference yeah and the alternatives aren't great like grant williams is really smart but he's undersized and he's almost a total zero on offense so i that that's a hard one to pull off uh especially if you're going for more than a couple minutes once it's like you say, once teams do do their prep and are are on to him and where he's going to be, they know they can just leave him alone and they're going to, you know, leave him and go after Kemba and Tatum and, and take those guys away. So I I do think teams will also try to get switches and go after Kemba Walker, obviously, but he's a, he's a, actually a, a tough cookie. Like he's scrappy on defense. He, well, and they do a great job work. swapping those guys out too. That's probably the, the scram probably, switches they've gotten yeah. really good at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, going back to playing against LeBron, they, they did a pretty decent job at, at those. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this is just is going to come down to how well the Stars play, though. I mean, hopefully Walker is back. I mean, he, he it's funny, nobody even, like, talks about Walker with the Celtics anymore because Tatum and the, the Wings, they get so much yeah. pub. Yeah, you almost but, forget he's on the team. But, like, yeah, he's a really good offensive player. And his ability to hit threes off the dribble in, you know, in – 
big moments like that when when you can't get advantages other ways like that's really important yeah absolutely and i think he if they can get to a series against the bucks i think walker can be a critical player i think he is a really good option for unlocking that initial bucks defense now if the bucks try to go with a more mobile unit and switch a little bit more then you know i'd be interested to see uh, how he they're going to react the experience at auto parts chains is ripe for a makeover and that is what rockauto.com does they're a family business serving auto parts customers online now for over 20 years you can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers if you ever get work done in a mechanic and you look at the parts prices the mechanic pays a lot of places have cheaper rates for mechanics rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're reliably low they don't change their prices based on what the market will bear they offer you the lowest possible price no membership required no account login required that always kills me having to create an account on every single site that i want to buy from just enter in the name of your make and model and all of the parts available will pop up uh, on their remarkably easy user interface so go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car and truck right locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new SiriusXM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. How about the L.A. Lakers? Yeah, let's talk about them. I, uh, I'm i not sure losing Bradley and Rondo is really going to impact them that much, at least in the short term. Uh, I think Alex Caruso was really good for him this year. I think KCP can can basically play Bradley's role. Uh, the one thing that you wonder about is if you get to a series against Houston. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, do they, I, they probably end up with AD at center in that Houston series? Probably. I mean, Houston, uh, excuse me, the Lakers have been really good about staying big all year and making teams match up to them. But Houston kind of got them after the trade that, that last game in LA. So you wonder... Yeah. If the Lakers will tilt more small, I, I do think the Lakers, or excuse me, however teams try to match up small against the Lakers, keeping Davis off the glass is going to be a real problem. Yeah, I think so. He, he is absolutely relentless. Same thing in transition too, where yeah, you know, those whenever speed, he challenges those speed a shot. post ups, the the yeah. Randy Moss outlets that that uh, that LeBron throws to him, where he gets those quick post ups against your one man back. That's that's such a such a problem, especially when you have no size out there. Another thing that I thought was interesting, I had forgotten this, and then uh, I was on the NBA's Twitch channel with Danny this week re-watching the fourth quarter of the Lakers-Clippers game from right before the shutdown, and they actually did not play a center for a single minute in the fourth quarter. They went with 
Markeith Morris, interestingly enough, for a, wow. a lot of that period. Kuzma played a little as well. I, I'm not a Morris believer. Marky, or at least not a Markeith Morris believer. No, I no, say. I like, I like the other one better. Absolutely. So that'll be a, uh, that'll be really interesting. I mean, I think Vogel is going to have a lot of decisions to, to make with the rotation in the front court and, well, in the, in the backcourt, too, because, like, Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith, uh, like, you weren't actually playing on playing these guys, were you? <laughs> like, um, I'm a little worried that their name recognition might get them into some games that they probably shouldn't be in. Yeah, Waiters, I think there's still, like, a slight chance he could contribute. I'm not totally dismissing. I mean, yeah, you got the guy for free before the the buyout deadline like i'm not thinking he's going to be a world beater but his theoretical skill set does provide what they need they need someone who can drive and kick that's what he did in that halcyon 2017 season that got him the big contract yeah. in miami but i'm uh I, I think he and they just need someone on the perimeter who can create a shot even if it's an inefficient shot but you know end of the clock just get us something and he could switch defensively he's got long arms he's strong i don't think he's going to get killed there so you know, for for buyout guys, he's not yeah. bad, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I'm not. I don't think that's going to kill them. I mean, you compare him to some of the guys that the Warriors were trotting out there by the end of the year. I think he's better than those guys when, when you look at last year. Like they're if you have enough okay, stars, he's better than Alfonso McKinney. I'll give you that. Yeah, or or Quinn Cook, who is now on his <laughs> Quinn own team, Cook. Actually. Yes. <laughs> well played. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, you know, he might shoot him out of a game or two. But they were just, they didn't have anything in that position, really. I, I, and honestly, I think he might be better than Rondo in some matchups because Rondo is so bad defensively. Yeah. And, and teams are just going to go under again. I know Rondo shot decently on low volume from three this year, but teams are still going to just make him shoot and sag off him. Um, this is a, again, a perhaps reductive, but does it just come down to whether LeBron James is the best player in the playoffs or not? So much of it. I mean, I we're looking at the Battle of L.A. Probably right to to win the West. I I would think so. Uh, no disrespect to uh, Houston, but so I think LeBron versus Kawhi is going to be a lot of it. Yeah, and you know there are things both teams can do around the edges to try and tilt some things in their favor, but it's it's going to be a lot of just just those. Those two and, and who can, who can impact the game more? It's going to be really interesting to see. And can LeBron in those big moments step up and defend elite players? He basically, the, the Lakers haven't had him guard anybody good the entire season, basically. And I think when it gets to these moments, he's going to have to. And we, how much does he have in the tank at that end? Yeah. Especially considering that they don't really have any other creators. So he's going to have a lot, uh, on a his lot plate. on his plate. Yep. So what I thought after I rewatched that game from March was the Lakers have to have LeBron be the best player on the floor to win. And I think the Clippers could still do it even if Kawhi isn't the best player. That they, there's a, I mean, we'll, I'm sure we can kind of just start transitioning in the Clippers here too, yeah. but I think they just have a few more ways to attack, particularly with Paul George and that they just generally have more depth and it fits together better. Uh, as well so i think that that's what stood out to me but in that game lebron was just abusing guys on switches like he blew past marcus morris he was beating harold so like it seems like the clippers strategy is going to be to switch uh, with a versatile lineup 
And LeBron was able to beat that off the dribble in ways that we haven't always seen from him this year at the end of games, but he really attacked at the end of the game. I thought that was a huge difference for them in the game that they did win. Yeah, I mean, the the Clippers are built for switchability, I think, when you go George Leonard Morris at 2-3-4, um, potentially have Harrell out there, uh, have a couple other guys who can maybe fit into that off the bat. Yeah, Patrick Beverly there, too, although I, I don't think of him as much as a switch guy. He's just a, a pest. Um, but, you know, if you go with Rodney Magruder or Patterson or Jermichael Green or some of these other guys uh, in, in small minutes, but if... Like if Marcus Morris can't guard him, that's a problem because it kind of obliterates their entire strategy of how they were going to deal with the Lakers, I think. Yeah, it was doing some switching. I mean, they do have guys who are big enough where AD is not going to just completely overpower them in the post uh, as well. And, you know, they still got Paul George. They still got Kawhi as options. And you could maybe go back to a more conventional approach of guarding LeBron and put one of those two guys on him and say, hey, you're just going to get over a screen and pick and roll. Um, you know, they've been playing Jermichael Green at center just due to the Zubach and Harold not being there. I, there's a part of me that still thinks that that's might be close to their best group, uh, or maybe so, you just go with Marcus Morris there too, but that spacing at the five. Yeah. They, um, they, they did that with some success in the Golden State series last year. We felt by the end of Jamichael's time in Memphis that the five was his best position, but we couldn't really play him there the way they were built. We needed him to play four. Um, and so that, that doesn't surprise me. And again, if you go, cause you can go Georgia two, Leonard at three, Morris at four, Green at five, right? And that's a, that's a very switchable way to line up that still has a ton of shooting out there. Uh, so th- that could be dangerous. The other interesting thing with the Clippers, when you start getting into conference finals and finals, is is Lou Williams just going to get played off the floor because of his defense? Well, or is he going to be completely destroyed? Presuming but not he's not taken at Magic City ordering a quote unquote takeout, um, is is what's going to happen with him? Well, I mean, I, I'll tell you my opinion. I think he shouldn't be in their closing lineup. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, I and we saw that um, I think it was the last time the Lakers and Clippers played yeah. each other this year where LeBron just <laughs> hunted him in switches. And yeah, I mean, they, they had they had seven points in four possessions attacking him in uh, in pick and roll. Yeah. And there are little count and mouse games you can do where you pre switch the, the switch and just keep him on the guy in the corner and force the Lakers to run somebody else up to the screen. But at the end of the day, they're smart enough that they're going to find him. And it's it's going to be a problem. And I don't know that they need his offense enough, especially when Kawhi Leonard is basically playing point guard with with their starting group. And Paul George is is the other guy out there who's going to be the secondary offensive player. Like, wh- why is Lou Will out there at that point? Yeah, you're not giving him the ball. Because, I mean, that was the other thing that stuck out for him. He's getting killed on defense. And I don't think he took a shot until there was like 30 seconds left and the game was totally out of reach. Yeah. And he didn't, they didn't give him the ball to attack at all. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of it was they were playing well and he's a veteran. And so he's going to expect to be out there. And so th- th- it may have to fail first before Doc can get away with doing that emotionally. Yeah. Um, you know who's actually looked pretty good for them is uh, Reggie Jackson. Yeah. If, I mean, if he's healthy, he could be semi competent. Yeah. But it does, it does really, you start to think that, like, man, they've 
so many options at this point. Like it's going to be. They can line up. Doc has a lot. Has a lot. I mean, it can be confusing sometimes to have that many options. But they can play big. They can play small. Uh, they have a lot of different. Uh, skill sets they can go to with the backcourt guys, depending on what they need. Do they want shooting with Shamit? Do they want more uh, all around with Reggie? Do they want offense with Lou Will? Do they want defense with Beverly? Like they can go a lot of different ways, but it can be confu- it could be a trap too, almost when you have that many options it, for him to winnow those down to like three or four. Like okay, here's here are the things we're gonna do. Let's talk about Houston now. I think it's good yeah. to talk about that. We just talked about the Lakers and Clippers because to me. If I'm Houston, I want to be in that 4-5 pretty Absolutely. desperately yeah. uh, to stay away from a potential matchup with the Clippers because the Clippers have better personnel to play the way that the Rockets want to play. To me, they completely destroyed them in just a, an utter evisceration right before the hiatus in Houston. And But I think Houston makes the Lakers a little bit uncomfortable on the other end. I completely agree with that. And... It, Obviously, we're, we're, maybe we're overreacting to one game situations that happened before the shutdown, but. Yeah. Well, it, there's a theoretical basis behind it. Too. Exactly. Exactly. It didn't feel like a fluke when those things happened. Uh, and so it kind of, it kind of confirmed our priors a little bit. Uh, Houston is another interesting depth situation where they, they don't necessarily have a lot of guys they can count on and they need to keep their main guys healthy but Westbrook was really good before the league shut down I think having the floor open for him has made a world of difference Harden is Harden he's a one-man offense no matter how how you line up or play them and then Covington and Tucker give them enough switchability and shooting to to play the way they want to play I I don't think this is a great defensive team they're going to get mashed on the boards they have a bad habit even in important games of taking naps in transition uh I do worry about a little bit about the minutes loads that these guys are going to have to bear as as we get deeper into this, but they're dangerous and they're probably going to end up with a favorable matchup in four in the four or five, especially like I don't see Dallas getting all the way up to five. I think Oklahoma City would be really interesting to have Westbrook versus Paul, but I think Houston wins that. I think they feel like they have the upper hand against Utah. Like I, I just don't see a matchup in that four or five that scares them, and I think they know they can make the Lakers sweat. Yeah, I mean, up until just one game this year, they had always really made Denver look pretty bad. Uh, you know, I think, let me ask you this. Is this possible? A fresh James Harden could be the best player in these playoffs. I think he could be the best offensive player in these playoffs. Okay. I, I can't put him out as, as a two-way force with, with Pete Giannis or Pete Kawhi. Sure. Um, but... Man, well, that okay. Like that, he, that would be enough, though. I think when if he's he good really offensively, is, yeah. he is so good. And the one thing he does do really well defensively is hold his ground against bigger players on switches and and uses his long arms and and makes himself a little bit of a pest. And I I think he almost prefers that if he knows the guy isn't going anywhere and is just trying to bang on him. Versus it's the guys that run away that that give him problems. Yes, yeah, because then he also has to run. Uh, yeah, but. You know, if he's got that step back three pointer working, and you know, a team like the Lakers, for example, uh, are they that well equipped to guard him? Like, I'm not sure that they are. Now, the Clippers, they are right. Like they, you, they can yeah. go with a big unit where someone can at least credibly contest that step back. They got enough vets that they're not going to foul him. Um, 
the argument on Harden is a that he got tired by the end of these seasons, and b that his game is just a little bit too predictable compared to other guys. So, all right, he's going to either step back to his right or he's going to drive left and he's going to try and get fouled. And also that, you know, if you really try and make him finish at the rim without following, that he doesn't have the same athleticism that he used to, to do that. Um, and also you force him to his right hand. A little yeah. Bit and especially so if you, pass. ideally you make him shoot a right-handed layup, which I th- yeah. think he's taken like three of in his career or something. Um, <laughs> so that, that, that's definitely a thing. I think the teams that have been most successful at, against him have succeeded at doing that. But like in Memphis, like we, I mean, we game plan that way every time we played him, but we, we couldn't do anything about it. Right. Sure. Cause he's just so good. And so, and so, so talented. I mean, we, it's one thing to go over it in the scouting report. It's the other, it's another thing to execute it on the floor. So yeah, if he's, if he's fresh and that shot's going down, he's, he's so dangerous. Um, and yeah, then he also you, has he also has traditionally gotten worse as series have gone on, which is interesting because he might that could be fatigue or it could be or is that teams figure out how to how to play against right. this and that's a bigger picture thing I think with Houston in general in this five out is is the uniqueness of that going to dissipate as you get into game two game three game four and. And then the factor that that bubbles up is just they're out there with a bunch of really short guys. All right, let's talk. Uh, we got two left here. We got Denver and OKC uh, out of this group. Apologies to Indiana if, with no Demontis Sabonis and Oladipo maybe not playing. I don't know if I'm putting them as a significant threat to win around. And also, we just had to break up the team somewhere. So sorry that's that's happening to you, Indiana. That's um, All Star Demontis Sabonis, Nate. Yeah, how can they win without an all-star? Pacers fans, you can't be mad at me. You don't have your all-star. He's so good, you wouldn't possibly have a chance without him. Um, Let's talk about OKC. You and I disagree on them, I think, maybe more than any team. I think that they are easily, to me, even with Utah. I shouldn't say easily, but with respect to Utah. But they are the weakest of the seven teams that are going to make the West playoffs to me. You do not feel that way, though, correct? No, I think uh, a lot of these horrible bench players aren't going to have to play. And so that, that gives them a leg up because they, I mean, if you look when they, their four best players are really good. When you talk about Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams, uh, and then they can close games with, with Schroeder. It's, it's going to be a little bit of a problem against good wings because they're just so small across. Um, and, Obviously, when you get into their second line guys, I mean, Dort gave him a little bit of a lift from what they had, but that's because what they had was below replacement level. Uh, we'll see what Roberson could do. Obviously, that would help if he could give them some competent minutes. You know, Noel off the bench at backup five is okay, but Adams is going to be playing most of those minutes. They they are confined strategically, and and I do think that's that's a thing that could come to bear over the course of a series. They They only have one way they can line up and play against you because they just don't have any options off the bench to do anything differently. Yeah, and also, this is a team that they played poorly at the beginning of the year. Then they really came on. They won 3.4 more games than their point differential would have suggested, and they'd been really hot towards the, the end of the year. And So I think that is something that can lead to them getting a little bit overrated. And I think also, as you mentioned, their lack of anything at the three you know if Robertson can be their backup four that'd be good that's how they were playing him 
uh, you know, and just give them some defense there. That would be useful instead of Darius Baisley. But, uh, you know, I don't want to count on that necessarily. But I think they're very matchup dependent. So who are the matchups you think they could do okay against? And who are the ones that you're really bothered by? You know, let's say, obviously, if they're going against the Lakers or Clippers, they're in trouble. But in that kind of three to six group, who is the teams that you wouldn't want to play? Who would you want to play for them? I think they're okay playing against Houston. Um, it's it's going to be a tough series for Steven Adams, but he also might completely mash them on the glass. Uh, I think they're okay playing against Utah. I think they're okay playing against Denver. Yeah, Jokic has traditionally played pretty well against Oklahoma City, although there those are many different iterations of Oklahoma City that we've seen over, over the years. Yeah, I, I think Jokic would be the best player in that series to me. Um, although, you know, Chris Paul, if he goes wild, maybe it's him, but I, I still wonder how many minutes Paul can play at, at yeah. a super high level in a, in a yeah. playoff series. Well, yeah. when you consider that he's like also been guarding like big wings for them at times too, like he's, he's actually had to really contribute on defense as well. That's, that's a big ask. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that this is just a team with a few too many weaknesses. I think they're a little bit over their heads. You know, if they'd won 36 games this year instead of 40, and they were locked into the seventh seed, which is, I think, kind of where they should be statistically. Yeah, I would, I would, I think a lot of people would feel a little bit differently about them. And so that's that's kind of if you just ma- match their talent up on paper, it's just not as good to me as as some of these other teams. I, I mean, I'm certainly not excited about them, but I, I think they have a chance to, they have it, they can have a chance in a series if they get the right matchup and. I guess I think the ability to have that matchup is there in in these West playoffs. I do think he could have Chris Paul could have a big series against Utah because with Gobert wanting to lay back under the rim a little bit, and they don't really have that great option. You know, I guess Joe Ingles has actually done a decent job on him before, but they may need need him to guard Danilo Gallinari, so maybe they won't have that option anymore. Yeah, and, there, could, there could be a lot of Chris Paul fifteen foot pull ups in in a Utah series. Yeah, because you're reliant on that rear view contest if you're Utah, and I don't know who that is now on this team if it's not going to be Joe Ingles. Oh, I guess Roy, uh, Royce it would O'Neal. be Royce. It would have to be Royce yeah. O'Neal, right? Yeah, and then who, who's going to guard Gilgis Alexander? You know, they've they've got like some different places to attack depending on the matchups. I mean, that'll be a n- no threes allowed, and I don't mean three pointers. I mean actual small forwards allowed in that series. <laughs> if it's Utah, uh, Utah, and OKC. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That also might be on uh, NBA TV Ocho as far as TV ratings go. All right, Denver is our last team here. Yeah. You know, for a team that has a chance to get the two seed, uh, not a lot of respect. No. Well, they might need someone to dribble the ball up the floor first, but I think I think they'll get there. You know, they've got some guys with soreness. they got time to get into it. I, I think they're pretty locked into the three unless the Clippers really falter, which I don't think they're going to. Um, and they're, they're what, two, two games ahead. Yeah. I mean, they're, I think they're one and a half up on Utah and two and a half up on everyone else at three. I, I don't really think Utah is going to catch them. And I think there's too much ground to make up for, uh, those other teams. So they probably stay at three. Uh, worst case, they end up in the four or five. Is this, yeah. They're just like, I, my colleague, Seth Partno at the athletic. I, I just remember him saying, this was at midseason, uh, Denver's just the team you want to pat on the head. <laughs> like, they're, they're good, but I, I just don't think anyone's scared of them. Well, Jokic had a really nice playoffs last year, but it was against relatively substandard opposition. I'm interested to see what this team does against a real playoff defense. 
And there yeah. aren't actually, but it looks like in the first round, it's unlikely they're going to play a team with a great defense, which I think will help them a lot because I think their their lack of spacing can come back to hurt them offensively and their and their lack of a really high level off the dribble score. Yeah, I think against these mid-tier teams, Jamal Murray's good enough and and he had a good year this year and he got better, but I think he got exposed in the postseason last year as being not quite of that caliber uh to to put you over the top against those teams and I I still don't know that that's a thing they really have. Uh Will Barton gave him some good minutes this year. He could he could be like a secondary guy there, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe the hope is that you can hope to get enough in pick and roll between Murray and Barton. Whoever has the better matchup, you you can go to them. And uh, certainly, if you can't guard Jokic in the post, you're in trouble. Now, uh, like I said, he's usually done pretty well against OKC. I think Gobert has usually done a pretty good job on him. Um, I really hate the Dallas matchup for Denver. I think that is one where they could be in big trouble if they have to go up uh, against Dallas. I agree. I agree with that. I th- I mean, I think Dallas is good. And if Dallas gets to six and Denver's at three, I think that's a real problem for the Nuggets. Well, because who is Jokic going to guard if you've got Porzingis spacing way out? I mean, he's going to have to guard a three-point shooter. Doncic is way too good of a passer to do this, put two on the ball and pick and roll aggressive defense. Like the Mavs are going to pick that apart. You just run a pick and pop with Doncic and Porzingis, you double team Doncic, throw Porzingis the ball, and he's got a wide open three. You know, that's the, I think that's ultimately the biggest thing that's made me less sanguine about the Nuggets chances is just that they can't have Jokic lay back and pick a roll defense. You have to be aggressive and against good playoff level of teams that can move the ball against that and then hit the corner threes that you're going to get out of that defense. It's just, it's tough. Yeah, and I mean, there's and at the other end, Dallas has enough size to at least give Jokic some. I mean, he's still going to put up numbers against them because he's a great player, but it's it's not going to be easy street for him. I also think that Mike Malone might be the weakest coach uh, in this that three to six Ooh. group, like at a playoff in his playoff adjustment level in particular, and also because he has a deep team. You know, a lot. He's very. There's pressure on him to find the right matchups and to find them quickly. I think he did hit the right buttons in that Spurs series last year to go to Torrey Craig, who actually got really hot and saved them in that series. Yeah. Um, when Will Barton just didn't have it. So I, I appreciated that he was willing to do that. You know, kind of the Denver ethos is, you know, we're going to show you loyalty and it's all about the culture and stuff. So I, I was encouraged that he at least had a little quicker of a trigger on Barton. Some sort of said it should have come even faster than that, but, um, you know, I just don't think of him as a quite the adjustment maven that, say, a Quinn Snyder or a Rick Carlisle are. Yeah, I mean, S- Snyder and Carlisle, I think, are on a different level. I mean, if it's if it's OKC and it's him against Billy Donovan, I think that's uh, that's a different story. But yeah, I would consider that more even. Yeah. Sure. Are we good here? Anything else you want to say on Denver, or, or should we uh, pack it in? Uh, I think we're probably good. Uh, uh, d- did we forget anybody? Did we we talked about Philadelphia, right? Yeah, no. We, oh, Milwaukee. We're talking oh, about Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Are they? Any yeah, good I, this year? I had it. I had it in my head that we had done all the East teams, but no, that is not the case. Yeah, maybe I, we I, should. I talk felt about. like we left somebody out. Um, th- yeah, the 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 Bucks. Uh, uh, are they your championship favorite right now, or or if not favorite in the sense that like they have a greater than fifty percent chance, do so they have the greatest chance of winning the championship? I would say they have the greatest chance. Yes, um, I think they have the advantage in the East. Clearly, I think the. Getting out of the West is harder than getting out of the East this year for the top teams. 
and and then in a finals, if it's if it's Giannis against Kawhi again, I think Giannis uh, has a better surrounding cast relative to Kawhi's than than the situation was last year when it was Bucks Raptors, and so I would I would give Milwaukee the advantage. As of right now, subject to change, I'll do my official. We could do our official predictions right before the playoffs start. But as of right now, I think while I would give Milwaukee the greatest single chance of getting there, because I think they have a greater advantage over their potential opponent in the East Finals compared to whoever's coming out of the West. Sure. But I, and I think I would favor them against the Lakers. I do not think I would favor them against the Clippers, though. If, it, if you told me it's wow. for sure that specific matchup I, but i think it'd be close i definitely think it would be close but i'm mm-hmm. i'm just a, i think the clippers just have a little bit more versatility uh, Kawhi was better than Giannis last year i think Giannis still has a few too many holes in his game when it's you can't get all the way to the rim in the half court uh, i think his vision is good but you can find ways to double him kind of from behind where he doesn't see the shooters as well their shooters are a little bit too uh, shaky. Yeah, other than view. Middleton. Yeah, yeah. No, and, I, I agree. And George, George Hill had a season that I can't quite believe. Um, yeah. And then the, the other guys, yeah, there's there's definitely some shakiness there. Well, and then furthermore on Giannis, the two other holes that I see with him, people focus on the three-pointer. I think it's really actually more about being able to find a reliable shot when the shot clock's running down from two-point range, that doesn't involve getting all the way to the basket. And then also his free-throw shooting is a major concern. I mean, they they probably win that game five last year against Toronto if he just makes his free-throws. And, you know, he's a great point. better three for eight in the first scrimmage game. So, I mean, I think Giannis clearly the best regular season player in the league. But, yeah, you know, you get into that playoff stress test, and there's just there's little things that you just worry about it. I think their defense is awesome. Their defense is the best defense in the playoffs for sure. Mm-hmm. But I just, I think they're vulnerable offensively. If Giannis can't just overwhelm the other team physically. Can Middleton be a high enough level guy when it gets to nut crunch in time? Yeah, that's a, a fascinating question. And you know, if, if you, I think if he's going up against the Clippers, are those mid range ISOs going to work for him or pick and rolls with him going to work? If, if they can switch it, if they have the versatility, um, that's a, an interesting question, and and Bud has uh, has some questions. He's got well some questions to answer. Yeah, little little too much on autopilot, I thought in the uh, in the Toronto series last year. Yeah, I, I, he did do some things like they actually switched uh, in that game five, which I they were actually critical. Some Bucks watchers were critical of him from going away from the base defense mm-hmm. in, in that game five, and you know they tried some stuff like making Kawhi go left every time, and and so I think he was receptive to that criticism the other thing too is how many minutes can Giannis play I think it's interesting because they've kept his minutes down all year but I I think he's capable of playing a lot I just I just felt like they they feel like they haven't had to but it's tough to take somebody straight from 32 to 48 it's going to be interesting to see how they manage that now the other thing with the Bucks here is that they're also going to have a pretty light load here for the next month or so if you look they're playing eight games that don't matter. They're playing a four-game skip through the tulips against either Washington or Brooklyn where they'll win every game by 30 points. Then they have a week off, and then, bam, Philadelphia probably. Like that Philly series in the second round, that could get interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think like that could turn into a real rock fight if they're not hitting their three-pointers. Yeah. They're, and, and so I, I, I think the Bucks. 
the math is so in their favor with what they do defensively and so you look at and philly doesn't really look like a great candidate to break that at all nobody i mean i think the reason i have them as significant fairs these is i just don't see who's gonna be able to score on them and maybe maybe Boston could, but then they can't stop Giannis. They don't have the, no, the guys. No, no, they, they, they. I mean, we saw that last year. That was proven, right? <laughs> like they had no chance against him. Yeah, and that's so, back when they had Al Horford, and now they lost him. They, they have yeah. even fewer options. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now, should, should we double check again to make sure we? See I, I, th- I think I think we got I think we got everybody. Was, did Brooklyn make our contenders list? Uh, no, we will be talking about them next week uh once we get a few games in the books and then we'll have a little bit better of an idea i think even with a couple of games in the books of what is uh, what the chances are of some of these teams making the playoffs also programming note for until the playoffs are over i think our general plan now is going to be we're actually going to release pods on mondays so because john usually has to write on sundays uh danny and i usually do like a big wrap up of the games on sunday nights during the playoffs so john and i that next monday when things have marinated a little bit it might be because we, we won't be talking about like okay here's exactly what happened in this game we'll kind of be doing stuff that looks forward a little bit more towards what's uh, about to happen and taking stock over the last week or so so uh look for our shows on mondays going forward here uh, absolutely at least until we get into the off season uh all right that will do it for today's show and we'll talk to y'all in eight days till then Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.